0: If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we welcome back to the show for the third time a featured guest who has his pulse on the trajectory of the global economy. He is A legendary investor. He is somebody who, when he speaks, a lot of people listen and take note. But uh, he's a great friend of the show. I'm really honored to have him with us. Before we begin tonight's program, I just wanted to bring to your attention that lately I have been focusing a lot on introspection and asking myself tough questions. And I'll explain to you this process and maybe something you might want to take a look at. But a lot of times, I think we ask others what we can get the answers what we want to hear, we want to know or think that we're doing pretty good, and if we don't want to hear the answers that we suck. <laughs> and I've asked myself some questions this month. It's been a tough month, and there are some areas of my life that, that suck that I need to transcend, and I need to do it right away. I bring this to your attention because it is tough. It is tough when you, you face that truth. It is tough when you see things of yourself that you know probably aren't the greatest. But if you can pull through, if you can look at that, if you can stare it down, if you can transcend it, if you can pull it into you, you I think you disempower the pain or the negative effect of it. So these things that I'm looking through, and transcending, they're very tough, but they no longer have the power that they did even a month ago over me. So it's just something to keep in mind, something to think about. I'm sure you are all wonderful and perfect. So maybe this is something that I just have to go through. <laughs> Either way, let us begin tonight's show. It is a great honor to once again, welcome back to the program, Mr. Jim Rogers. He is one of the world's premiers visionaries. He co-founded the Quantum Fund, and every major network has him on their shows to ask what's going to happen in the future, what's happening in the markets. Mr. Rogers, welcome back to our show. Thank you for being with us.
1: I'm delighted to be here, Ryan, but I should tell you I make plenty of mistakes, so don't worry.
0: <laughs> I think you definitely have a lot of uh, wins, so... The last, actually the very first time we spoke, which was in 2015, you got me uh, all fired up about the idea of, of children, and you talked about how wonderful they were, and we talked about your book, A Gift for My Children, which was for Happy and Baby B, so I let the listeners know that I'm having a kid, so I'm all excited about it, and I hope to one day write a book like yours. So, from your perspective, how have your children changed your life and changed any perspective you have on investing and looking at the, the markets?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I'm delighted to hear you're having a child. When, Thank you. When is the child coming?
0: It's coming in the end of May. It'll be a Gemini. Oh,
1: fantastic. <laughs> well, fabulous. You're about to have a whole lot of fun, I can tell you that. Excellent. Um, I, I told you before, I was very, very much against children, uh, but then I had one, and I found out I was completely, totally wrong about children, so everybody, everybody should go out and have, if they're old enough, go out and have, and have children. It's wonderful. It will teach you emotions. It taught me emotions I didn't know I could have. It taught me, taught me all sorts of things about the world and how people think, how people act, what little ch- children want, and needless to say, little children grow up to be big children someday. So it just has been a wonderful, wonderful experience.
0: So when you were able to observe your own children up close, do you find that you were able to see certain things about adults that maybe you could see the kid still resides in them, that you have a greater understanding of how people fundamentally think?
1: Oh, well, of course, because children are very pure. I mean, most (laughs) children are not smart enough or clever enough yet to try to deceive people. Uh, And so they're very, very, very pure. If they want ice cream, they want ice
0: cream.
1: (laughs) They don't beat around the bush. Uh, you know it's it's clear older people you know they start saying well well, I'd really like to beat around the bush and let you know they want some beer or whatever it is but children don't beat around the bush not in the beginning anyway
0: excellent well in your book A Gift for My Children you talk about a lot of your main lessons a lot of great lessons for, for life and for investing a lot of people today I don't know they have a different mentality we see a lot of younger people maybe they don't have a strong work ethic as previous generations you to wonder why, but if you are a parent, if you're somebody out there who wants to raise their children in a way where they're ambitious, where they're driven, where they have a worldly view that may be different than a lot of their peers, what are some of the key lessons that you'd begin or recommend people teach their kids at an early age?
1: Well, Raymond, that's a a very, very, very good question. Somehow or another, both of my kids turn out to have a work ethic um, and are driven uh, I'm not quite sure what we did to instill that other than just be ourselves and emphasize things like, you know, show up on time, do your homework, get good marks, etc. do what you're supposed to. All of those basic life lessons, uh, to me, are given. I just assume they're given with everybody, but I sit and watch my children now, one is 11 and one is 16. And see the difference in them and some of their schoolmates, for instance. And I can't quite figure out what we did to make our kids. So since my, one of my my 11-year-old has just become the first uh, vice head prefect in her school, a prefect in the English school system, uh, and many commonwealth schools still use the prefects as the English system, you know, the school selects the top dogs. Well, she was selected the Right top dog, and the only Caucasian girl, the only one with blue eyes to ever have this kind of position. is a school with a few thousand Chinese and people with black hair and black eyes. And she did it. I'm not sure what we did, but she, her older sister, by the way, became one of the top ones too, not quite that top, which obviously laid the groundwork for her. I wish I knew what I did. I'd, I would bottle it. Okay.
0: Awesome. Congratulations. This is wonderful. And One of the things I remember reading in your book is that you wanted your children to take up philosophy. Are there any types of philosophy or authors that you think, whether you're reading about them at an early age or whether you're reading about them at an older age, are going to be really good for your mind to develop a critical thinking skill set that will prepare you for success in a world?
1: Well, I'm probably just about any philosopher. Even bad philosophers will make you start start to think, and that's the that's the skill which is lacking in most of the world today. Most people don't think; they just ex- turn on the TV or the internet and accept what they what they see. Uh, most people don't question, don't don't aren't curious about what they were told. So I would suggest any philosopher, especially ones you don't agree with. Because those will make you think even more. I'm sure if you read Karl Marx, you would think, what a fool this guy (laughs) is. But at least uh, he would make you think about it. And then you would come to the conclusion, God, the guy's a fool. And he got it completely wrong. But it's good for you to come to that decision yourself. You know, many people read Karl Marx and said, oh, my gosh, the Savior, the promised land. We now know he was totally wrong. But a lot of people read it and liked it.
0: Uh, I, I remember he put, out, put that out there, and there were some fundamental ideas that are in there. Even some books that are considered evil, you just look at the thought process. You wonder why these people came up with it, but at least they, it shows a concise thought process. So,
1: Well, as I said, I'll repeat again uh, ad nauseum. Being able to think is a wonderful, wonderful skill in 2020 because fewer and fewer people have that skill. Even if you're evil, and even if you think <laughs> badly, at least think. You know, uh, Hopefully, there'll be other people who'll be smarter than you and can outthink you, but at least think. Uh,
0: well, Mr. Rogers, there's this book I love by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Blink, and he talks about this practice of thin slicing, where instead of analyzing a situation for years, months, after a while of doing something over and over again, you can kind of pick up in a very short period of time the rationale behind a person, the motives behind a person, or how a situation will play out just by doing a small sampling of that. He calls this process thin slicing. So in the course of your years investing and dealing with people, what are some of the indications that you utilize, a micro way of kind of gauging where a situation is going to go or how an economy is going to play out?
1: Well, one of the advantages of having been around a while is you have experience. Many things I had to learn in my early days, which took me hours or days of research to figure out, you know, I, I now can almost instantly say, ah, I've seen that before. I know how this is going to work out. You know, bubbles, I had never really seen a bubble in my early days. I lived through one. But by the by now I recognize bubbles. Bubbles are always the same all over the world, no matter what the asset. They all look the same and sound the same. Well I can recognize a bubble pretty quickly now because of experience. So what I didn't know before, a lot of I now know because I have the experience and I've seen it before. And by the way, you know, Ron, right, everything that's happened before is gonna happen again. Uh, We're still human beings. We still put our trousers on one leg at a time. Uh, yeah, some things are slightly different. Maybe you have black hair instead of red hair, etc., but still, basically the same principles. We're all human beings, and we all make the same mistakes.
0: Okay, But in this era right now, have you ever seen a situation where the central banks have exerted this much influence over the global economy? And in the same token, I'm wondering... If because we're looking at something called like negative interest rates, is that unprecedented? I mean, do you look at some of these...
1: Extremely, extremely good insight and good question. It's never happened before in, in human history, or at least recorded human history. So it is a, a new phenomenon, which we all going to have to learn from eventually. I know the lesson we're going to learn. We're going all going to wish it never happened. We're all going to suffer badly because of it. But it has never happened before in, in recorded history. And it is insane. It's a bunch of academics and bureaucrats who didn't know what to do. So they said, well, let's print a lot of money. Maybe it'll work. At times, they have acknowledged that it was an experiment. They don't acknowledge that anymore. Now they say they know what they were doing. Uh, No, this is going to be a big, big mess for us. And one reason I think I can tell you that is because I do have experience of what's happened in the world of economics for thousands of years. And there's never been a free lunch. It's
0: awesome. I mean, that's something that I guess a lot of people don't understand. If we look... I remember reading in your book, Street Smarts, I believe you had said that in 1807, if you were smart, you moved to England. If 1907, if you were smart, you'd move to New York City. In 2007, if you were smart, you'd move to China. You were talking about how the, the, the sphere of influence and economic power shifts maybe every couple hundred years. And I'm wondering... If you look at these empires that once had dominant economic systems throughout the world, did their currency become absolutely worthless? Because we've heard a lot of talk about this idea that the dollar is going to hyperinflate, it's going to crash, but because the dollar has been used in so many different transactions, is it too big to fail? Is it too big to be worth absolutely nothing? Will it have some semblance of value on the world stage, or is it going to pop like every other currency that's gone before it, a fiat-based currency?
1: Well, first of all, Every one of them in the past has eventually popped and been replaced. Does that mean the U.S. dollar has to be? No, of course not. But will it? Yes. You know, the U.S. Now is now the largest debtor in the history of the world. No debtor nation in world history has ever been this deeply in debt. And throughout history, when countries have gotten themselves into this kind of situation, they've always had a crisis or a semi-crisis, and they've always gone into decline. Do I like that? No, I'm an American. My kids are Americans. But the facts are, it's always happened. And America's debt goes higher and higher and higher every day. America's overextended in many ways in many parts of the world. Uh, I mean, these, these are simple statements. These are not opinions. These are facts. And throughout history, Ron, you know, once upon a time it was the Spanish peseta or the Dutch guilder or the pound sterling, et etc. et cetera. They've all gone the way of, oh, we wish we hadn't made those mistakes. But they make the mistakes. Societies and politicians make mistakes.
0: Because all these countries at the same time appear to be printing their money, and they seem to be devaluing their currency. And if we have this global collapse, do you think the U.S. is going to bear the worst of it? And hypothetically speaking, what would you see the United States to be like from your perspective? in the coming years, will it resemble a third world country? Will will it resemble Europe after it lost its power of being the second economic center of the world?
1: Well, let's look at uh, history again, because history is smarter than I am. Uh, You know, 100 years ago, 1919 or 1920, I guess, uh, the UK was the richest, most powerful country in the world. There was no number two at that time. Uh, And but underneath, there were problems. The UK had built up huge debts. UK had an extended empire all over the world, which was expensive to maintain, expensive to uh, to police, if you will. And I guess you know the rest of the story. The UK still there, not even in the top 20 anymore. Uh, But it's still there, and there's still people making fortunes. You know, there are plenty of people who made fortunes in the last 100 years in the UK. You must have heard of the Beatles, for instance. Mm -hmm. Well, the Beatles had a good time. A lot of people left the UK in the last 100 years. The Beatles didn't. They were either smart enough or dumb enough not to leave. So it's possible to make a huge success in a declining nation, and it will happen. But, again, if you look at... Others with longer-term perspective, 400 years ago, Portugal was—oh my gosh—you couldn't believe how rich and powerful the Portuguese were. Well, most people couldn't find Portugal on a map now. It's no longer the situation that it was, as things continue to decline and deteriorate. Spain, the same thing. More people have heard of Spain just because it's bigger, but. Ryan, it's always happened.
0: Okay,
1: maybe we're different, but I doubt it.
0: Right. Jim. You, I know you talked about silver and gold before, about buying silver, and you've, I think you said some nice things about it. So, just inquiring about it: what role do you think silver is going to oh. have after the big crash happens with the dollar? And do you what? How how do you think governments are going to view silver in terms of a strategic value? Do you think it'll be acquired? As voraciously as gold, do you think it'll be acquired as voraciously as other natural resources? Can you also see? Sorry.
1: Throughout history, uh, whether we like it or not, people have used silver and gold as stores of value and medium of exchange. In fact, silver has been more widely used throughout history than gold, partly because there was more. I mean, Christ was, you know, Judas Iscariot turned in Christ for thirty pieces of silver, not thirty pieces of gold, because silver was the main Use of money in those days in that part of the world and still in many parts of the world. Silver is much more widely accepted. China, the Chinese monetary system 80 years ago was based on silver, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, silver is always going to be, in my view, always going to be accepted. If, if nothing else, by peasants like me who don't know any better, you know, academics may say, you don't, you shouldn't have silver. I'll say, OK, fine. I'm not a, an academic like you. I'm just a peasant. Uh, So I'm going to have silver, and most of the rest of us will, too, because it is a constantly international, recognized, easily transportable method of value, whether we like it or not. So I certainly own silver, bought more recently, uh, and will continue to buy.
0: (coughs) Got it. And as far as um, investing for the future, because... apparently we're going to have this this big crash. You've been predicting it for a long time. A lot of people have been saying it's going to be horrible. It's going to be the worst bear market in our lifetime. I think you would said that. How do you prepare and invest for that? I mean, should the average person be preparing to survive that? Should they think about wealth preservation? Or they, should, they, should they look at investment opportunities? Should they just pretend, okay, well, look, this is going to happen. I'm going to do whatever I can to invest and do whatever I can right now, knowing this is going to happen. Or should most people play defensive, knowing that this thing is probably going to happen
1: imminently? Um, I would just make sure you, it's clear what I said. What I said was the next time we have a bear market, it's going to be the worst in my lifetime. You know, in 2008, we had a problem because of too much debt. Well, since then, debt everywhere has skyrocketed. I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe maybe you can predict for all of us. Nope. <laughs> but, but the best way to prepare is put your money only in things that you yourself understand. If you don't know what you're doing, don't invest um, in something because when things start changing, you won't know what to do unless you yourself understand it. I would tell you not to listen to me, not to listen to anybody on the radio, the TV, the Internet, the newspaper. Just invest in what you know, and then when things go right or go wrong, you will know what to do next.
0: Thank you. And I just wanted to ask you one more question about silver real quick. Is that global debt doubled since 2008? Gold price, I think, doubled since 2008, yet silver is the same. Is there a particular reason why that silver hasn't caught up to gold in terms of value?
1: Well, p- partly there's there's a lot more of it. Uh, not that that's not the only reason, but it just doesn't have the recognition that gold does uh, throughout the world. It's, I, I don't misunderstand. Everybody knows about silver. Everybody wants silver eventually. But over the past uh, Many years, a lot more silver has continued to be mined. And there's a lot of silver in the world, you know. When I was a kid, everybody, when they got married, the first thing they did, they went to the jeweler and picked out their silverware. Kids don't do that anymore. It's dumbfounding. Tiffany's, the the huge jewelry company, does not do a big business in silverware anymore because people, young people don't buy silver like your grandparents did and my grandparents did. So that's one reason. That is a source of demand which is reduced but but don't worry. It just gives you more opportunity to buy silver cheap.
0: Jim, I talked to you about the psychology of investing because I remember reading through books, listening to a lot of your other interviews I love that you say that, okay, when you invest you, just, you do it and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and a lot of your thing is like not doing something. So I think if you look at America, you look at some of the rest of the world, it seems to be like this impulsive feeling that like I have to do something, I have to go out and do something. So from your perspective, what is the best psychological um, pose a position for a person to be in that wants to make money in the long term? Is it patience? Is it uh, being constantly proactive? Is it being eternally vigilant? What would you say would be the best mindset in order to be most successful or most successful as an investor?
1: Well, all of the above, but but the simple answer is that you, unless you're a great short-term trader, and I'm not, I'm the worst. There're plenty of people who are great short-term traders, spend all their days and nights, you know, buying and selling, buying and selling. I don't do that. My whatever success I've had is finding things that are cheap, taking a position after doing my research, and then waiting. Because if you wait uh, and you're right. Over the years, it's going to go up a lot. If you buy something really cheap where there's positive change taking place, the bull market can go on for years, decades. And that's the kind of thing I like to do. And all that requires is patience. Well, first of all, it takes hard work and perseverance. But once you've done it and you know you're right, then all it takes is patience, patience, patience. You obviously have to check your... Uh, You obviously have to check your position as you go along, but but that's that's what you really need. Just wait. Do nothing most of the time. (laughs) Do nothing most of the time.
0: Excellent. And uh, Jim, Robert Kiyosaki, who's known as Rich Dad, Poor Dad, has a new book coming out called Who Stole My Pension? And he's talking about a global pension crisis where people who have it Relax right now. They're doing great. All of a sudden, they're they're going to be struggling. Millions of people are going to be in this crisis where they're not going to be able to retire. I was wondering, from your perspective, do you see that coming? And is there anything you'd recommend people do to preserve the purchasing power, to preserve the retirement assets that they have right now? Should they be going against the, the crowd for what everyone else is thinking about?
1: Well, first, I'd recommend they buy the book and read it because if it's what you say it is, it's something that is a wake-up call, because it is astonishing, not just in America. I mean, there are German cities, Germany, where you have cities that are that are going to default or, or have huge problems going forward, and Germany always has been the paragon. You know, and many other more marginal countries, Italy, Portugal, etc. So, we all need to be aware of what's coming. I said to you earlier. The next bear market is going to be the worst in my lifetime. Well, part of it is exactly what this, what that, your book is all about, Robert's book is all about, and that is the fact that many pension plans have been playing fast and loose with the accounting for decades now, and this is getting closer and closer and closer. The population is aging; the promises were made. Uh, You you can't go back on the prom. They will go back on the promises eventually which will cause huge suffering. But these promises are out there. The simple arithmetic is the money's not there and it cannot be there. And many, many, many people are gonna suffer badly. You're gonna have cities and states in the U.S. go bankrupt because of the pension crisis. But as I said, it's not just America. I I wish it were just, I mean, I wish it were just one country, but unfortunately it's the whole world and we're all gonna suffer. Be, dealing- be worried and be prepared. <laughs> That's
0: what I want to do. But of all these leaders that are on the stage right now running for president, at least in the U.S., I mean, the fact that they're not talking about this and a lot of people aren't talking about it, do you think that when this crisis actually comes, it is going to completely destroy people's faith in these leaders and maybe erode the credibility of these institutions to the point yeah. where people will actually permanently turn away because the pain will be so great?
1: Always has <laughs> why, should, why, should, why should it be different this time? No, when people wake up and realize, oh, my God, I worked for this company or this government my whole life because you promised me this. And now here I am ready to, to take cash in my promise and it's not there. You think people are going to be happy? You think their children are going to be happy? You think their brothers and sisters are going to Nobody's going to be happy because it's going to be a shock to everybody. If I said you state X in America is going to default, you would say, come on, don't listen to him. He's crazy. But when it does default, all of the people who didn't listen or weren't aware or who didn't read your book or didn't read Robert's book are going to be absolutely shocked and stunned and very, very, very angry.
0: That's uh, unfortunate. I mean, they should have been listening to you for years, they should have been listening to Robert. I mean, all the information is out there. I'm always shocked that all this information is out there, yet people don't want to learn about it. I mean, one thing, I'll, again, reiterate the fact, that I love the fact that you drove across so many countries on a motorcycle. got so awesome that you're able to see people up close and personal. Of all the things that you did in your life to push out of your comfort zones, what's the one thing that you think had the biggest, um, most significant aspect of uh, changing your perspective
1: well children okay. I told you for <laughs> yep. 60 years I was against children I, I was adamant not to have children but then I did it and I found it oh my gosh I was so wrong this is wonderful 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 you say push out of my comfort zone is taking me to a <laughs> new to a new comfort zone but other you know riding around the world on a motorcycle was was, was awesome uh, but then I, I, I liked it so much I did it again in a car. You know, these are these are experiences that for me are great adventure. And I am crazy about adventure. Most of my friends say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you fly around the world? You can afford (laughs) it. Why are you going to get on a motorcycle and drive around the world? Uh, Because for me, adventure and seeing the world close to the ground is very exciting.
0: Mr. Jim Rogers, legendary investor, I want to thank you so much for being with us on our show. Again, you have you have a real awesome, warm energy, sir, and I, I'm so thankful to have interviewed you and to, to have your outside and share with our audience because um, I think you're awesome. Thank you so much.
1: It's great fun. Let's do it again someday.
0: Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of the Truth. Special thanks to our amazing guest, Mr. Jim Rogers. And special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Kaza, and Miss Constance Stellas. To learn more about the Outer of Limits of and Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love,
1: and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening.